Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Hello, everybody. My name is Tim Montgomery, and I'll be your host for this session of New Cyber Frontier. Uh, Today, we have a gentleman from NATO. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself and uh, give him a little bit of his background here and and maybe we can get into uh, cybersecurity and the profession of it and some of those concerns. So, sir, if you will. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. So, hello from Belgium. My name is Holger Spohn. I was a former German Air Force officer, left the military, joined NATO as a NATO civilian, and now I'm working in the cybersecurity field for nearly 20 years. So next year, hitting the 20 outside the military time. And it was quite an interesting experience and it keeps going as we see with new challenges, new demands, new requirements. And I think we never run out of a job if it continues like this. Right about that. No, 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 definitely. Uh, I, I think the industry is ongoing and the gap is just seems to be running outrunning us, right? So it gets bigger every year, it seems like, and the analysis that we that we end up seeing every year. So I, I see statistics from ISC squared, they usually give off some statistics. There's some other sites out there, but I usually see that published paper. They give out a white paper every year. Um, so I'm not sure what you're on your end, what you see. But um, so, I mean, that's one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest factors about our um, cybersecurity industry, uh, as far as the challenge goes, is filling the spots. I mean, do you see that in NATO um, too, having some of those constraints? I'm sure you do. As we rely on the people that are coming from the nations, I would say at the moment, the nations are challenged with a qualified workforce. I agree. There is one big challenge that the military and some countries are a good example, has a hard time keeping the workforce because industry pays more. And with that, of course, people then have usually the loyalty where the money is. And the constant training requirements challenge, of course, public employees. So we normally should see um, trained personnel incoming and as training becomes more complex, more demanding, more expensive, that of course is is a challenge in itself. And to also, I would say, motivate the people to maybe join this workforce is is difficult. We try to, I mean, not we, but the nations try to, and I'm sure in the US you have the same, since university, to train the young workforce and to bring in the experts and to make sure there's an incentive to join. But it seems the technology and the problems outrace at the moment the recruitment, the training, and actually the efforts to, to fill those gaps. I believe in Black Hat this year, we heard the statistics that in the US, over 2 million experts are basically missing. And mm-hmm. I would dare to say that Delta is growing. And not only in the US, in, in Belgium, where I sit at the moment, I believe the Belgian government a few years ago said that they do not have enough experts in alone a country of 10 million people. So in the long run, it it raises the question on how do you expect to deal with this if you can't satisfy your requirement on the workforce? Will automation or maybe, I know it's an industry buzzword at the moment, but machine learning or artificial intelligence 
yeah. at some point fill the gap and free up some humans to do what really matters. Yeah, yeah, that's normal. I think I think that's what we're hoping for in industry. Something that helps helps kind of close that gap as far as uh, other than throwing a lot of people at it, right? So, um, yeah, and so I suspect that the. I mean, what are other concerns do you think is in the industry as far as I mean, as, as far as NATO is concerned? I, I know that. Uh, you got threat nations, you've got different um, actors out there. I'm sure those are rogue nations, things like that, that seem to be uh, taking more of a foreground uh, as far as attacks go. I mean, is, is that another prospect behind? I'm sure it is behind NATO. Uh, as, as we in the United States, uh, we, we tend to see more threat actors uh, evolving from different countries uh, that we've never seen before and taking uh, bigger participants in attacks. I mean, just the ransomware itself and that concept uh, seems like that's taken on a new genre, a new a whole, a new agenda as far as hacking. So, I mean, what is what what are some of the takes or perspective from your angle that you see is coming in into the industry that might be a concern to us as a as a profession? I think we are not different than any either government or any company. The complexity and the growing complexity of technology. Everybody wants to talk to everybody in best real time, highest quality with like any device. And that to secure is, first of all, nearly impossible. And I mean, the US is the best example how to prevent data leakage when it really matters. That is a a huge challenge, be it the military, be it a civilian environment. You want to talk to industry, you want to talk to academia. There is a need to talk and there is a need to exchange but at the same time, keeping your own environment, your assets, your people secure, that is a huge challenge. As you mentioned, ransomware, I think at the moment, the merging of cyber crime as well as state level activity or more sophisticated actor activity, which is out there because the criminal gangs are getting better as well. Yeah, that is are. a huge problem. Because ransomware is a problem for everybody. It might not be aimed at you, but it might hit you. And then you have the problem, like the big companies where we saw recent um, success stories, unfortunately, like um, Garmin or in Germany, I think it was um, MediaMic, which was successfully affected and disabled some of the services. So that the merging of this, unfortunately, Corona, I believe, led to an interesting technology exchange between the, the malicious actors because they couldn't go out. They couldn't act as they normally do. So they started learning from each other, sharing best practices, TTPs. And I believe at the moment that is that is part of what we see that was successful. And that is where the advanced um, threats come from in technology. Fileless malware was was big a couple of years ago. Now it's it's becoming a masterpiece. The ransomware evolved from like in the past. It was encrypt your data. Maybe you get it back if you're lucky. If not, you paid a little bit of money. Now. You are pressured into payment with they take data before you they encrypt your network and the storage yeah. to either shame and leak or yeah. to make sure, oh, you didn't get ransomware. Let me show you your information and now rethink your answer. And at that moment, there is there is a big problem. And unfortunately, when law enforcement tells companies not to pay, I fully understand the point. But yeah. the small to medium-sized companies, which can basically hold barely their own with the IT department. What are they supposed to do? And if you struggle in securing your technology, or better, you know, there's never never change a running system, 
when you have an improper setup and also your backup was affected, there is basically no real other choice. And I'm not saying payment is correct, but you see when even bigger companies pay a ransom or better, it is indicated through a quick return into the market that they must have paid. Then this shows that unfortunately the business model at the moment is successful. Yeah, you're right. Well, we're going to need to take a break real quick. Um, so we'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors. Blockframe technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. I'm here with Holger, who uh, works for the NATO uh, community and um, uh, looks like he's out of shape. Um, we're Brussels, close to Brussels there. Um, and, uh, and we were talking about before the break, uh, the reality of just what um you know the consensus of the way i think our world has become after covid um the hacker and just how advanced they seem to have gotten uh from the concepts uh from what they're seeing in perspective and i think you're you're right on the tick when it comes to uh the concept behind you know hackers and the evolution of hacking and just how it's got more predominantly focused um ransomware is one of the bigger components and they're going after bigger stabs of loot, right? So they're, they're asking for more, more prominent, deleting things. Uh, yeah, you're, and, and it's just a different perspective to hear that, um, you know, COVID is actually um, almost inspired them kind of conversing together and, and be able to, I haven't heard that perspective yet. So that's something that, that yeah, I believe it probably did happen. Uh, probably is, is something that they probably did at an opportunity uh, to get into and see that like VPN, because I mean, half the nation went home or more than half the nations, most nations, they had to send all the workers home. They had to figure out how to adapt to this thing within, you know, days versus months. Um, and you had industry who probably had big projects on the plate um, that were going to do it, uh, but now they have to do it. And so how does that work? How do you rapidly expand the teleworking process out to, 90, 100% of your workers. Uh, so just that alone created uh, a, a giant vector, a giant gaping hole as to, you know, being able to do work versus a hacker being able to get to uh, and and use something like ransomware. Um, so certainly, certainly had a big change in uh, the way we did business. Um, I know from what I do every day that um, I get a chance to go home. I've never had that chance. I always usually drive in an hour's work to go to work, um, but it did open that up and we were ready for that. Um, I think a lot of what we do is government, um, as far as what I do, is, is more remote than any. Um, so they did, they just hardened it more uh, than it was already given. Um, and so uh, like my wife, uh, she works for a well-known hospital and she 
uh, had to watch it expand rapidly. Uh, but what they did do is they took the money they were going to put into renting buildings and literally left their IT staff at home permanently and then took that money from their future efforts and put it into what they were going to do already to rent the building out. So they ended up saving money. They ended up saving money. Uh, but they got attacked by ransomware and things like that, too. So, I mean, it, and, and so the, the, the benefit to uh, something like this per hacker um, the idea behind it is is just enormous, and so um, in, in your world, in your perspective, how did you see how your businesses, how did it trend with market, with the ability to do business every day? Um, did there were there focal points to how the attacks happen? How you saw the the evolution of this? How how business modernized? I mean, what were some of the key factors that you saw as we went through? this process of going all telework, right? <laughs> As we are not really, I mean, with a military background, it's it's not really about the business model. It was actually the, the attempt to protect the the people oh. and of course to, to reduce the manpower and the footprint in the different buildings and headquarters. Okay. We had the same task like industry, yeah. send people home, make sure they can work. And of course here is, is the big difference this working from home of course for a military or a government employee is yeah, different than, than industry because as soon as you talk about more sensitive information this yeah. working from home doesn't work anyway yeah. and skiff. it never did <laughs> exactly the skiff yeah. model and yeah. most people do not have a skiff back home no and no, so it <clears throat> it caused problems of course, yeah, the big sure, yeah. expansion rapidly on IT yeah. was a challenge because you see that now even procurement of IT is, is difficult. One is the supply chain yeah. or the supply chain problem. The second, of course, is the huge demand across the world, which yeah. I think nobody could foresee at some point. And when even big companies like HP or Dell have problems shipping out new devices and then you need to configure while, you're, while half of the stuff is at home, you need to think about new security. You need to roll out yeah. whatever you use, be it VPNs, be it tokens, be it some kind of, of security countermeasure. And that was, I believe, we are not different than any other environment in trying to master this. Yeah. At the same time, while, while basically people are already being sent home, you want to train them. And we all saw in the news the disasters on some um, Zoom bomb meetings school kids exposed to pornography we had of yeah. course here we have people in school we have families around and they suddenly needed to worry at home how can i do telework how can i do tailor study for my children how do i secure that then you hear our oh, zoom is not secure then is microsoft teams better is cisco webex better yeah. and all the platforms that suddenly appeared go to meeting etc and that posed an interesting challenge and unfortunately, I think it, it still is because we just try to unravel the chaos and what comes back, the fourth wave, and people start going home again. Yeah, you're right. And, you're, and it, it transfers in, in, in the same sort of ways here uh, when it comes down to really trying to find those platforms, mechanisms that were secure enough, uh, and then for it to unfold that fast. And then how do you deal with when you come home? Because interesting enough, uh, you know, with those who have kids that are younger ages, need that support, and then they're getting sent home. 
uh, it's a it's a juggling act to be the parent, also be the teacher, and then <laughs> then work at home simultaneously. I'm sure not everybody has a space in their home, you know, just that alone, right? Uh, let alone the IT and the uh, the cybersecurity component of this, uh, the impact that it had. So, um, so yeah, interesting ways in the vectors of of, of how threats have started to be new. Um, do you see any other threats? I mean, as far as the threat actor itself. Um, see anything new trending as far as uh, the way COVID, um, when it started happening, uh, that you saw that was different about uh, when you, uh, any, any of the threats you guys gained uh, over there? So the threat actor changed. Um, it started doing different uh, possibilities of different attacks. Um, besides the fact that the VPN, uh, those are the biggest factors. So I'm sure you were also vulnerable to other things um, that you ended up seeing in, in of course, whatever reports you're gaining um, and whatever activities that are going on that you're monitoring. So did you see any other factors that were actually like gaining as far as hacking goes or uh, contributing factors of attacks in your modeling that you did? I was about to mention, of course, the VPN problem. So basically anything you exposed to the, to the outside world suddenly became yeah. a problem and, and VPN exploits which I believe in the past didn't really play a big role, now suddenly became a, a dominant problem, yeah. even on, on more sophisticated threat, threat actor level. Then suddenly there was, a, there was a chaining of events. I mean, we, of course, all looked at the different problems we had with the um, attacks against cloud, you know, the Office 365 and um, exchange vulnerabilities, which suddenly posed a problem. So a lot of people believe cloud might be their savior. Suddenly it was affected by this. We saw this year, for example, in, in Black Hat that it is not meant maliciously from the cloud providers, but if you don't have a full control of your environment and the provider rolls out a new service, which is put on top of what you are already using. First of all, it's like a Microsoft patch. You cannot prevent it. Second yeah. of all, you might not be even aware that they roll out a new service and that this new service then technically poses a challenge for you when you configured everything safe and secure and when activities, malicious activities don't even appear in the logs because this is not what the logs ah. and what the environment is actually monitoring. Yeah. That and then poses an interesting challenge too. And I, I quote one of the security researchers who actually um, delivered that presentation that without having anything like a CV, CVE record for cloud vulnerabilities or any common way to share the different cloud environments, be it from Microsoft to AWS to others, yeah. what, what vulnerabilities you're actually facing in case the company even knows or wants to reveal this. So I think this whole trend towards cloud and the simple belief this will make everything better, I believe is, is for me, yeah. Personally, a huge concern yeah. because cloud, yes, it can help if you understand the model, if you understand the environment, but it is not the general savior for everything, apart from the legal constraints where data is stored, third-party access, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but the cloud concerns, I, I believe, became bigger because this was part of also a countermeasure to Corona. How yeah. can I make sure? Look at Microsoft Teams. I'm sure a lot of users stored some information in Microsoft Azure, so behind Teams, supporting meetings, 
making a living working document for their yeah. peers, be it school, be it work, be it a, a hobby. And do we all clean this up? Do we review the information? What happens? And that was actually yeah. something we wanted to do now when this, this unraveling from the chaos, at least tell people, come back to the normal, come back to a controlled environment, delete the stuff you don't need, which is out there, or bring it back to an environment, I would say, that you trust. And I hope that can still happen because, like I just said, now with the fourth wave and some countries taking new countermeasures, we will see. Yeah, I think you're 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 right about that. What did uh, Microsoft do as far as its own policies to make sure that that information was maintained and clean? Um, so that's something. And then, of course, then we talk about the location, geographical location of said information as far as where it's being collected. So I mean, it, those are certainly concerns. I'm sure that everyone should have on their uh, on their radar uh, as far as. The, the amount of collaboration on these systems that we've had to go to um, and cloud is not the answer to everything. Although they say by, by the next three or four years, we're going to have about half of all of our data in the cloud somewhere. So I'm not quite sure exactly what that might mean, but uh, I, if, unless you're collecting it on my computer and putting it somewhere else, um, I'm not going there if I can help it. So <laughs> the, the one, the one drive, uh, is something that keeps being entertained by Microsoft wanting me to back up stuff, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to use it. I've got my own backups in, in, in those cases, so certainly can understand there's concerns there. Um, and so, as we got into COVID and, and, and transversing into new methods, you know the uh, the concept behind the the threat that it imposes and the cloud concept, and then threat imposes. Um, I mean, as far as future proofing, um, is is there any anything that that you could think of as far as your experiences that might suffice a good method for future proofing such a thing like when you go to the cloud um, and and then in such a measure like the the big velocity of uh, you know different information being on a platform we're collaborating. I'm sure Microsoft's got got their idea of what they're going to do, but from your perspective. I mean, as you see, especially if you're doing military ops or or if you're doing something like that, I'm sure they have their own set of uh, of like NATO has its own interior components um, that it goes to safeguard itself. But um, as far as cloud conversing and things like that, I think um, what's your perspective on safeguarding uh, the future proofing of, of cloud itself uh, when it comes down to international concerns or even um you know, information that's that's actually should be uh, prioritized, like classified information. Good question. Complex question, I believe. Um, we we leave the, the, the. I have to mention the buzzwords because it is it is a concern somewhere on the on the horizon. Yeah. What will at some point quantum computing and um, yeah, the like post quantum encryption do to us because my initial answer would be encrypt the data that you have in the cloud. Yeah. I know it counters the effort of big data and the data cannot be really processed while in the cloud while being encrypted. But I, I believe that is right now the solution. This is also future proving it because with that, 
you could, with a strong encryption algorithm, say, I don't really care initially even where the data is as long as I can access it. Yeah. And um, as long as it's decrypted when it sits in my secure environment, now assuming I control a secure environment, then I can say I also don't care what happens in transit because this is something we, we cannot overlook. Yeah. And this model, I think we could even, and, and we see that with, with simple encryption tools that are sometimes part of an anti-malware suite, or you now see encrypted USB sticks for home use. That might even be a, a solution to, as you just said, to your OneDrive problem. If yeah. private users want to share something and it's a little bit more sensitive from a tax declaration to maybe family pictures, kids' pictures, that this doesn't get into the wrong hands, encrypt it, put it in your OneDrive folder. As long as you keep the key and the key is somehow resident, even if your machine crashes or you have a fire in the house and it burns down your laptop, then this for me is actually the solution. And that allows you traveling, you go to the new location, authenticate to your data, and there you go, you're back operational. Now, of course, raises the question, if you authenticate from an internet cafe, then you don't control the environment. So you need to think about it and still play with it. But imagine for, for the military, you go from one command to another, there is a secure network, and you then re-authenticate to your information and continue working. Yeah. That, I believe, is, is a fairly easy and good way forward. The problem, of course, is what will your data do while sitting in the cloud? It's not and it's not gaining value and it cannot be exploited. So we, we have to balance what do you want to do also with big data models and data analytics. Yeah, you're right about that. That's certainly true. Um, have you ever heard of uh, using blockchain to encrypt the data itself? Yes, heard about it. And I find the blockchain models and the technology and the opportunities it gives quite fascinating, not only um, when looking at cryptocurrencies, but also, as you just said, securing information via a blockchain um, process. Best example, what I find fascinating is if you have famous antiques or famous art, and to make sure that this piece of art, of course, only exists once, and that you can always track and trace where it is, where it was last, and where the last legal owner and its location was. Which I know, if if there's a criminal and you have enough money and you manage to steal, you might not care that there is a blockchain proof of this is the original picture. Right. But in general, I think it would help in securing a lot of the information that we need to maybe minimize um, theft of art or trying. To um, to prevent forgery and similar models. Yeah, there was a concept that the gentleman in one of the previous shows we've had that uh, talked about using it to actually uh, trigger rule sets that follow the the, da the data itself. Um, so you could you could encrypt the data, and inside the encryption, you would have the rule set of what you could and couldn't do, which would limit the use of data, uh, even if it was setting you know stagnant somewhere. Um, it still couldn't be, you still couldn't get to it. And it would only do so many things. You can limit it, which was an interesting concept to me. Um, that would, I think, in turn, uh, you know, that would actually solve a lot of the issues where data in the cloud uh, perspectives and concerns would come into play. And he had a working model of what he was using to actually do this uh, blockchain aspect of it. Have you ever heard of anything similar to that?
uh, in your experiences in NATO of coming across something like that? I believe a couple of years ago in an, in an academic research presentation, I believe this was this was envisioned or, or potential model, but I, I must admit I haven't seen it live or haven't seen a working model yeah. or haven't even had the chance to, let's say, play with it. At the moment, we all talk about data-centric security and that security travels with the data. And then, of course, the, the, the roles and functions travel with this data segment as well. But as we look at the system, even the one I'm, I'm sitting in front of, you know, a Microsoft Windows 10 or 11 is so far away from data-centric security. <laughs> so we have to come up with a, with a simple way to implement this for the normal user to, to use and understand and to embrace this. But I, this sounds like an, an interesting model, I must say, or an interesting use of technology. Yeah, that's what I was, uh, yeah, I was just curious. Uh, more or less, I, I saw it, but I haven't seen any working anything working either as far as models go. Um, but he had had something that he was using and writing about it and his research on use of blockchain and what it could do. Um, and I know we do we do the same similar things. We just use it to encrypt data versus and, and the access of data versus like uh, your crypto uh, currency and things of that nature. That doesn't fall in, into the lane of way of what we were doing as blockchain development but um um per se it's it's uh it's something that i think is in in the works to um support ongoing you know furthering information in the cloud um and it, it will help to secure data wherever it goes um and hopefully that'll flush out uh the uh the security of the of the internet itself at some point um and help support ongoing things that uh in military operations and things like that so um um so i guess uh let's see going to take a break here um uh, let's try to think of the, the time frame sorry about that uh so we're going to take a little break and we will return right after we hear from our sponsors thank you Blockframe technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back uh, to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. I'm here with Holger, uh, individual from NATO, speaking about the cloud and concerns that he has has and has known in the past in uh, about COVID. Uh, some of the topics that we were going over is just how things have changed in, in everyday work uh, as far as cybersecurity and what it relates to uh, our activities every day. I mean, do you see concerns also, sir, that uh, that like when you go to market or you go to buy something in, in the NATO, I guess in European nations as a whole, uh, what's the trending changes there that you see that well, might provide a concern as far as avenues for a hacker to get in and do something. Uh, how's that? I mean, how, how do you, what's your perspective on that? 
highly interesting environment and we, we leave the nation out, but I believe we talked about it, the education and mastering the complexity of technology. Um, we have to mention, of course, the fascination at the moment of, of 5G and rolling out new technologies yeah, that was and a suddenly experience. coming to the conclusion. And I think in the U.S. government at the moment, this has this has highest level priority and is on the agenda of, of the White House yeah. that we are highly dependent, of course, in components on Asia and yeah, not saying that everything with that is I'm not I'm not um, in into the doom and gloom scenario and that the sky is falling yeah. but an, an understanding has to be has to be made that if I control the hardware platform and the hardware components that form the core of either my IT or my country or my critical infrastructure yeah. then I have a problem if everything that is manufactured and produced and maybe even programmed is outside my control because validating this is difficult to impossible, yeah. very, very expensive. And I, I can quote a nation in Europe. They had been on the news with this and they just said, yeah, okay, then we put security um, around our information. We talked about it before. That works. If I if I encrypt the data over a 5G network, that is fine. But if I control the hardware platform, the underlying environment, I will make sure that I then at least take your data with the encryption. And at some point in time, as you know, with enough computing power, enough time, enough resources, yeah. I might even break that and with that have access to the information. So this is not a quick way out and to dismiss the threat. The recognition even failed that if I don't own the hardware layer, so to say, that this poses an interesting challenge and one that is not easily overcome. And so I believe at the moment, the recognition on not only the shortfalls in the supply chain, but maybe the problem of giving everything to other countries from the production, like I said, to the design, to the development, to the programming of software in many cases, or at least core components. That was a mistake, and this will be very expensive and difficult yeah. to roll back if we can even succeed to do so. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Is yeah, yeah, that is a major concern as far as the hardware goes. If I mean, just the fact that they've, they've reverse engineered most stuff, but that if you if you end up with hardware that they own, yeah, then you kind of let that be a monopoly per se, and that there's no no contending with that. So. Um, especially if there's an outside source. So everyone's always, um, you know, acting uh, as far as, as far as skepticism, if you're always letting a third party do the job for you, uh, are they going to do what they're supposed to do as they agreed to and continuously do that? So, yeah. And it sounds like the, the more we get into this, the, the more we become dependent on it, the, the seems like the more changes are being made. So uh, it's definitely something that's going to be unique coming uh, as far as concerns go, so and we saw yeah we saw some examples like that when already laptops got rolled out from big manufacturers and they had software which phoned home, yeah. and that yeah. just okay later is was excused that shouldn't happen or we forgot it on there. Did you really forget it or was it just found and you you made a little oopsie and had to try to unravel from that? So <laughs> that is for me a huge concern. The the big the the, the hunger for the information, not necessarily big data, but I just recently read an interesting article where in um, China, 
the whole artificial intelligence and the whole scientific research is basically learning from all the information China has gathered across the world and keeps gathering. And apparently, the smarter the AI becomes, the more data it needs to study. And so we need to understand this. There is a reason for, not only for the criminals, but also for producers of this type of technology, or maybe even for other governments, that the data hunger will not stop. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's fundamentally going to grow exponentially. Um, And it certainly... Yeah, with new with with AI being out there and the, the amount of information trying to consume, yeah, it's just certainly it sounds like a monster almost, right? You're creating you're creating the Frankenstein, if you will, <laughs> or inevitably the uh, I guess you could call it the uh, Terminator, right? So that that story about uh, Skynet coming over and taking us over, right? So, so uh, yeah, certainly concern. I, I certainly see that coming in the future too. Um, well, sir, it was. Great chatting with you. Um, I hope we covered some of the topics. Is there anything else you'd like to chat about uh, that I might not have covered or any angle that uh, perspective-wise? Um, as We got a little bit of time here, um, but we're getting to the end. We're running out of time. So is there anything you'd like to cover other than that? Maybe just um, to finish the whole AI discussion, I think President Putin a couple months ago, or it was maybe maybe more than a couple months, so last year or the year before, yeah. actually said to the press that, and we aren't there yet. So the true AI, as we understand it, with its own analytics, its own decision-making, and basically changing the course of an event for mission success is, as far as I think we know at the moment, not invented yet, luckily. But he stated clearly that those who will control a true AI, will rule the planet. And that, I think, is a perspective which is really true because once you develop this, and I know this is a little bit going into the fear-mongering piece, but the efforts are ongoing. We see this from Microsoft. We see it from Facebook or Meta now. We see it from all the big companies, and they all strive to a true AI development. And yes, it will help us in space if a robot can make its own decision, analyze the parameters and not rely on programming. That is amazing. But what will it do in other environments? And so here, President Putin's statement is is fascinating. And I believe this this explains it also why a lot of entities believe they cannot afford to give up or to lose this race. And that's, I think, also a biggest challenge because it basically forces you into we have to play and at least try. It's like playing the lottery. If you don't play, you don't win. There's not even a chance. But playing might lead to success. No, you're right about that because eventually, yes, an AI will stand out one in particular, whatever it is, even if they're diverse ones, multiples, uh, they eventually, yeah, will be. Uh, trying to rule out uh, which one will do better and, you know, with data and the new way of doing things. So um, our world is uh, always revolving, changing. Um, seems crazy the, the way IT is spun out and the way now uh, the focus of the cybersecurity community is now, you know, having to worry about specific types of targets like these and how just the impact of these little these little things uh, seem to make a world of difference today in our world of being able to just, uh, you know, commute and and uh, go to work and uh, buy products, you know, market and uh, just live in particular. So um, definitely 
definitely some challenges out there. Definitely intriguing, um, you know, and the concept behind not having enough individuals to support. Hopefully, AI supports <laughs> trending for us to be able to close that gap up a little bit, right? So, look, look at a couple of years ago. I think it was also in Las Vegas when DARPA um, tested the machines attacking and defending a network. And I think this was an interesting experiment, fascinating to see, but really showing where the trend is going. Yes, the good intent is free up the humans and leave the mundane tasks to the machines. Yeah. But um, where, where will be the end of it? And I mean, Hollywood, unfortunately, every good sci-fi movie starts like this. Oh, the humans are not bothered with this, trust the machines. And yeah. it goes downhill from there. Yeah, because then the weakest link is the human now. And what's the point of, you know, it just goes in the cycle. At least you get to that evolution somewhere in the, in the, in the midst of the climax of the movie. Right. So at some point in those sci-fi movies. So, and then, and uh, I know it's more of a joking tone, but uh, sci-fi movies <laughs> become realistic at some point. I don't know if I've got giant spider, spiders coming out of space and aliens and all that good stuff, but <laughs> AI is certainly one of those you need to be watching out for as far as concerns that seems to have uh, come out of the sci-fi end of it, right? So, well, sir, thank you for for uh, for chatting with us, and uh, I I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, it was great to meet you. Uh, I hope we get a chance to do this again sometime. Um, it's certainly uh, good to hear perspectives out of the NATO community, um, and it's always worthwhile to hear from anybody in the cybersecurity community. Uh, about their take and their perspectives on things. So um, until next time, I'm your host, uh, Timothy Montgomery, and this is an edition of New Cyber Frontier. Uh, everybody stay safe and um, until next. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.